You know, this week uh, I'm going to talk about something that I've been thinking about uh, for quite a while, and it's called Holy Coincidences. And I want to kind of define that for you. I want you to get that thought in your mind right now, wherever you're at, watching from whatever room, whatever space in the building, whatever uh, place in your home. Um, holy coincidence. Here's what a holy coincidence is. It's something that you can't explain, you can't deny it, and you believe God is involved in it. In other words, you can't really explain it, but yet you can't deny it, and you know that God had to be in on it. I mean, there's no real math that can back up the odds of what happened. And, and some examples of a, of a holy coincidence is like this. You're thinking about somebody. They've been on your mind for whatever reason for uh, popping in and out for a week or so. You haven't seen them for a while. Then all of a sudden you go to the grocery store, you're in the bread aisle, and lo and behold, you look up and it's that person. And you have a conversation for 15 or so minutes. It's words of encouragement. And somehow you just feel better. You know they feel better. You know it's just right. You know it was a holy coincidence. You can't put together the math of how you'd be at that grocery store at the same time, how you'd be thinking about that person. But sometimes those happen. They happen to me. I've, I've heard your stories before. Or how about this situation? You're weighted down by a situation. And it's filled your mind with fear. And so you have this problem in your mind and it's filled with fear. And all of a sudden you turn on the radio and a song comes on. And that song sings and speaks directly into what your fear was. Now again, you, you try and figure it out in your mind. How could I be thinking about this just at this time? And right at the right time when I turn on the radio, that song is on or it comes on right when I'm thinking about that. Again, I, I say that's a holy coincidence. You, again, you can't explain it, but yet you can't deny it. You can't just reason it away. Or you saw that bird. Whatever that bird represented that you know it meant something to you. You found a picture you hadn't found in a long time of, you, of your mom or your dad, and it brought back a memory. And it's exactly what you needed to see. You received a card in the mail, a word of encouragement, a birthday card, whatever it is, you received a card and you realize that's exactly what you needed for that time. You got that job. You didn't think you were going to get it out of nowhere. A phone call comes and you got the job. You read the verse in the Bible. And uh, I'm not for closing your eyes and just picking to a spot. But I, I, I've heard people before say I've done that and that exact verse is exactly what I needed to hear. I am for reading the Bible daily and knowing that God speaks to you through it. But those coincidences, how does he even do that? Out of the 30,000 some odd verses in the Bible, how do you just find one that speaks into whatever you're going through that day? Again, I, I think you can only call it a holy coincidence. You sat next to this person on the plane, and the person starts to tell you about something, and you've experienced that tragedy, you've experienced that problem, that situation, you've experienced that joy, and all of a sudden, your life intersects with them, and you're able to talk about something, and how weird is it that you just happen to be sitting right next to them on the plane at that time? Or you're a little down and all of a sudden you hear your child say something. Out of nowhere, they tell you they love you. They care about you. They give you a smile. They do something to one of the, the, the pets in the house. And you know, you just know that God's just doing something deep down inside of you at that moment. It's a holy coincidence. And using the voice of your child, you get an invite to the certain place at the right place at the right time. Or maybe it even happens this way, that you hear a message at a church at just the right time that God says, I want you to hear. Again, you can call what you want, but I believe those are holy coincidences. I have people, so many people come up and say, how did you know that was going on? And the answer is, I don't. I don't know what's going on with you. But God does. And sometimes he'll even use a message um, to speak to your heart. Again, math can't reason away these coincidences. There's no mathematical odds for them. It's just simply what it is. It's a holy coincidence. Well, Maybe today's message 
might be one of those holy coincidences for you. In fact, I've been praying maybe, this might be your first time tuning in with us. Maybe you've never gone to Oakbridge Community Church. You don't know who I am. By the way, my name's Tom Novelton. I'm one of the pastors here. And that doesn't make any difference to you at all. But you're here right now listening to what I have to say. And I'm going to suggest to you, and it's been my prayer, that God uses this message to speak something into your heart, into your soul, deeply into your, to your life. That is exactly what you needed to hear today. And I'll trust that he does what he's going to do. Our story comes from 2,900 years ago, but it is spot on for the time we're in today. It's funny, Scripture says that the words of God are living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, meaning they're alive. Even though this was 2,900 years ago today, this Scripture, it's still alive today. And I think it's perfect Scripture, and I'm going to read a lot of it, to speak into the situation we're in exactly right now. There's three main characters I wanted to tell you about before we jump into this. The three are King Ahab of Israel, his wife, Queen Jezebel, and then a prophet of God named Elijah. I'm going to tell you a little bit about each three, but I'm going to start by reading here in 1 Kings chapter 16, 29 through 33. If you have your Bible, you can follow along. This scripture will be put uh, on the bottom of the screen as we go. But uh, I'm going to read about, this is now bringing in Ahab into the picture and Jezebel, a little bit about who they are. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, that's who we're talking about now, son of Omri, became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. So he's king of Israel for 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. So this king Ahab, uh, we're reading, is, is not a good king. He's an evil king. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, who was the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians. And he began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord. This is a big statement. He did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. Many of the kings of Israel before him weren't very good kings. And the writer says here, this king was a really bad king. He marries this woman named Jezebel. And there were Baal worshipers. And uh, here's who Baal was. Baal was a Canaanite false god. He was normally made in the shape of a bull, representing strength and fertility. That's what Baal was, the, the, uh, the god of strength and fertility for the Canaanites. And it reflected the lust for power that they had, and it, reflects, and it reflected their lust for sexual pleasure. So that's who Baal was. And, and uh, there are many Baal worshipers at that time. And then they mention later on in the verse, in verse 33, Ahab also made an Asherah pole. Asherah was a Canaanite goddess. And she was supposedly the mother of Baal and the mother of 70 other Canaanite gods. So we get this picture that there's one God, true God, the king of Israel. And yet here we find out that Ahab is worshiping Baal, Asherah, and all these other gods that are in there. So King Ahab and Jezebel, uh, not two great role models at all. Now we look a little about Elijah. Elijah was a prophet of God, and it's one who speaks for God to help guide the people of Israel. God spoke through prophets at one time, and oftentimes it was to encourage the nation, oftentimes it was to rebuke the nation. Depending on which direction Israel was going, God would bring a prophet into the picture. Sometimes the kings of Israel didn't like what the prophets had to say. In fact, many times, because what the prophets had to say were directly against what the kings of Israel were doing, as in the case of King Ahab. 
He first speaks into King Ahab, and he comes to him and he says, and he tells him there will be no rain uh, for several years. And in fact, Elijah says to King, there will be no rain for several years, and it will only rain when I say it will rain again. God told him to go and tell King Ahab that. Then Elijah went away and hid for a while, and he met a widow and her son. God said to Elijah that this widow would provide food for him. And uh, so he comes to this area, and he finds this widow. And it's funny that this widow uh, had a son. She was there preparing her last meal because she just had a little jar of flour and a little jar of oil. There's just a little bit left. And she said, look, I'm going to eat this little bitty thing of, of, of uh, cake of flour and this little water, and then I'm going to die. I mean, we don't have anything left. And uh, Elijah says, well, bake me a cake with it. Bake me a cake with it. And she tries to tell him, there's, there's, there's no, nothing hardly left. And he goes, I promise you, that flour and that oil will not run out. And so it didn't. In fact, they ate and they ate and ate many days. In fact, I don't know how long the length of time was, but it was a very long time that they ate of this flour and of this oil at these cakes. And it never ran out. It kept being replenished each day. As time went by, and Elijah was with the, the widow and the son, the son uh, became ill and he died. And the mom uh, came to Elijah and said, you know, uh, how'd you bring this upon us? Uh, I'm heartbroken. Uh, is there anything can be done? And Elijah then says, yeah, he says there is. And he goes and he actually heals the son. The son comes back from the dead. He becomes alive again. He's brought back to life. And then the widow, the son's mom, says this quote in scripture. Now I know that you are a man of God and the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. That's what she said. I know now, you raised him from the dead. I know you, now you're a man from God, and the word that you come from is the word of truth. Well, I bet she did. I mean, she'd been eating this flour that had never ran out. There'd been oil that had never ran out. Her son's raised from the dead. She certainly believed that Elijah was from God and a prophet of God, and you would too if this happened to you. That's, that's surely. Well, after three years go by of this famine, uh, Elijah's told by God to go to King Ahab and tell him that this is going to end, this famine's going to end, that rain's going to come. During this time period of three years, so Elijah, just to backtrack a little bit, Elijah goes back to Ahab, tells him it's not going to rain, your actions have been terrible, there's not going to be any rain until I come back and say it again. Then he goes and he hides. During this time period, what we can believe is, is that King Ahab and Queen Jezebel were hunting for Elijah because it didn't rain. And they were hunting for Elijah because they wanted to do harm to him. In fact, any of the prophets of God at that time period, the people that were the prophets of God of Israel, they put to death. They, they found as many as they could, and they put them to death. So Jezebel is going around killing the prophets of God, and I'm sure looking for Elijah. So um, Elijah is now then called to go to Ahab, so he goes to Ahab, and here's what we read in 1 Kings 18, 17 through 19. 1 Kings 18, 17 through 19. When he saw Elijah, this is Ahab, when he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Verse 18, I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's command and you have followed the balls. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So do you get this picture? 
Elijah's coming back. He comes back to King Ahab. And Ahab tells him, you're the troubler. You're the one that's brought all this. Now remember, Ahab had told, I mean, Elijah told Ahab earlier, it wasn't me that brought this problem. You brought the problem. You brought the problem to this picture. You weren't following God. You weren't trusting God at all. You're following all these other false gods. You married a wife that brought these into the nation Israel. He said, I've not made this trouble from you. So he says, get all the people together. Come to this place called Mount Carmel. Bring 450 prophets of Baal that you have, that Jezebel has. Bring the 400 prophets of, of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. These 850 people that serve false gods of Baal and Asherah. Then the people gathered together, they did. And Elijah said to them, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And he makes a quick, quick declaration. If you believe God is God, the God I'm telling you about, the God of Israel, then you follow him. If you believe that Baal is Baal, then you follow him. But quit doing both. Quit saying, well, I love God. I want power. I want to trust this God for, for uh, strength and, and, and uh, fertility. Quit going back and forth. That kind of happens to us, doesn't it? On one hand, we want to jump in and follow God. On the other hand, there's times where we don't want to follow God and we want to follow other things that we know not are of God. So Elijah is just saying to all the people, you pick, jump in one way or the other. This, this half in, half out doesn't work. It doesn't please God. It doesn't work. It brings ruin upon a nation. It's not the right way to live. It brings ruin upon a family. It's not good. Then in 1 Kings 18, 22 through 22 through 29, we read. Then Elijah said to them as they gathered, I am the one, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. Which really wasn't true. He didn't know, but there's still 100 prophets that were left. But he didn't know that at the time he said it. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bowls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood but not set fire to it. So he says, look, I want you to get two bowls. Let Baal's people get this bowl that they have, which would have been uh, uh, certainly poignant because uh, they represented Baal with, with uh, images of, of bowls. And then he says, I will prepare the other bowl and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Verse 24. Then you call in the name of your God, and I will call in the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. So he sets this up. You're going to get a bull. You're going to put him on this wood. We're not going to set fire to it. We're going to call to our God. And whichever one sets fire to it, he's the real God. That's the real deal. Elijah said to the prophets, verse 25 of Baal, you choose one of the bulls and you prepare it first, since there are so many of you. You call in the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bowl given them and they prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar that, that they had made. So get this picture. They've got this bowl, bowl on this wood, been sacrificed there. There are 450 of them chanting, screaming, crying out to their God, saying, burn up this bowl, have fire come down from heaven and it's not happening. I could just see them dancing all the more, chanting more louder, sweating, 
uh, uh, getting on their knees, doing whatever they needed to do. At noon, this is verse 27, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Now, a lot of you wouldn't like this right now, but I kind of like taunting, and it's bad of me to do it, all right, but when I was always a bad winner, when I won, which is why I had to quit competing, when I won, I had to let people know that we won. This was a bad winner. So I understood trash talking and ta taunting. So at noon, Elijah began to taunt them, and he yells, shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe Baal is sleeping and he must be awakened. So they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. They cut themselves in sacrifice, trying to get God's, their God's attention, Baal's attention, to do what he needed to do. Midday passed, verse 29. And they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. So you can imagine Elijah now watching. You can imagine 450 people who had been crying out, cutting themselves, sweating all day, disappointed because this bull's carcass was rotting on this wood, not being consumed by fire, as was the challenge. Elijah then called the people in a little bit more. Come together. And he built a stone altar, and you can read in Scripture the stones that he used and what they represented. Then he dug a huge trench around this altar. Then he put wood on this stone altar, and he cut the bull into pieces, and he laid the bull on the wood. Then he filled 12 huge jars with water, and he poured the water on the wood, all over the wood, filling the trench. Now imagine the picture. The worshipers of Baal were over here. They were crying and chanting all day, no fire. That wood was dry. Elijah comes in and says, I'm going to build this. I'm going to put stones here. I am going to soak this wood so wet that nobody's going to be able to, uh, to deny it. And it said it filled the trenches uh, around this uh, sacrificed this altar, filled this trenches with water. That's how much wood there was. Now, you know wood doesn't burn uh, when it's wet like that. Then Elijah prayed. Then he prayed. Verse 38, we pick it up from there. 1 Kings 18, 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice. The wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. You get this? Fire came down, not only burnt the bull, burnt the wood, burnt the, burnt the stones, burnt the fire, soaked up all, uh, burnt the soil, burnt all the water in the trenches. And when all the people saw this, verse 39, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Elijah then seized all the prophets of Baal and he had them put to death. 1 Kings 19, 1 through 2, we pick this up. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So let's pick up here. Here, fire comes down from heaven, consumes these sacrif this sacrifice that Elijah said would prove that his is the real God, not this false god Baal. And it happens. 
Now, if you're King Ahab, it should have been a bit of a wake-up call. I mean, there's no denying that, quote-unquote, holy coincidence. There's no denying what happened there. So he sends word to Jezebel, who Jezebel, these were her prophets. She did not like Elijah. She was hunting for Elijah during this three-year time period. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. Now he killed the prophet's sword, verse 2. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. In other words, she then sends a threat to um, Elijah saying, I'm going to kill you. I'm, my gods are going to kill you. After Elijah had just proven that her gods weren't gods. He just said that. He just shown that. She was still so incensed that's what she's going to do. Now I want you to pause for a second. And we're going to jump into Elijah's shoes. There's a situation that had gone on that started three years earlier. You'd gone and, by the, uh, and under the urging of God, you told this king that it's not going to rain because of their behavior. God's spoken. He's seen what you're doing to the nation Israel, his people. And he's not going to allow it anymore. And there's going to be uh, a, a, a famine because there's not going to be any rain. And you know that happens. And then you leave that area. And then God touches you and says, look, I'm going to feed you. I didn't read it earlier, but he also fed him with birds of the air. They brought him food during this time period. But he, then he finds a widow and her son. And food magically reproduces itself when it should have ran out long ago. And then Elijah has given the power to heal the son who clearly had died. And then God says, go back. And, and then Elijah, by the way, Ahab and Jezebel couldn't find Elijah during this time period. And then Elijah's called to go right back to King Ahab, go right into his face and tell him, okay, now it's going to rain. Is right in him and then puts this challenge together. So if you're Elijah... You were cocky enough to taunt the 450 prophets of Baal. You were cocky enough to say things to them. You were cocky enough to know King Ahab heard this. In other words, I'll even change this word. Not cocky, confident. You knew that God was with you, then it was true. You knew that he was for you. In the midst of a situation where you should have been afraid, you weren't. There are 450 people. There's just you by yourself. You had the confidence that God was with you. And then you get this message. After this past three-year history, you get this message that Jezebel now says she's going to kill you. How do you think, I just want you to think for a second, what do you think he told that queen? I mean, as I'm right reading this, I'm going, what did he tell that queen? I can just imagine it. I can just what he said. He said, my God did this, my God is that. I have seen this, I have experienced this, I saw this with my family, I saw this with my friends, I heard this story from the past. You're not gonna, look, you're, the, you're not gonna trouble me. I'm not gonna fear you. I'm not gonna worry about you. I know what my God's done. I could just imagine Elijah giving ready to give it to her when he hears this, what he's gonna tell her. You take a hike. None of this is gonna bug me. 1 Kings 19, 3 through 9, we read how Elijah responded. 1 Kings 19, 3 through 9. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. What? I mean, what? When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there 
while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and he said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank and then he lay down again. Can you imagine this? All that Elijah had seen God do and a woman says she's going to take his life. Queen, mind you. And now he's got fear all over him. Even though he knew what God had done in the past. And that God was totally trustworthy. And then out of somewhere an angel touches Elijah. And he wakes up and he sees bread and water. Wouldn't that be just like God? He uses something to remind Elijah. Do you remember what the woman, the widow and, the, and her son Elijah, do you remember that? That you had bread and food and I supplied that? And now your worry, your fear is replacing your faith in me? And that's the place you choose to live? After all these holy coincidences that have happened? Verse seven. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and he touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank. And strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and he spent the night. Now stop. I want you to listen to me again. He had 40 days and 40 nights to think. And he's running into a cave. Obviously, he's running, moving away from Jezebel. And the Lord, word of the Lord came to him. This is what God said to Elijah at that moment. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, as I read this, I thought, oh my goodness. The here, where he's at, where God's telling him, what are you doing here, is not the cave. It's the land of fear. It's the cave of fear. And that's exactly what God is saying to me and to you today. What are you doing here, Tom? Mary? Whatever the person's name is, what are you doing here? Do you know what I've been and where I've done and, and what I've done for you and those that have gone before you? Do you remember all those holy coincidences where you couldn't explain it, but yet you couldn't deny it? Do you believe that this thing right now that we're going through is bigger than God? Do you believe that Jezebel and all her power is bigger than me? Do you believe that the coronavirus is bigger than God? Now, it doesn't mean, it, this doesn't mean that you do foolish things. It doesn't mean that you don't take precautions. It doesn't mean that you don't act wise and listen to counsel but it does mean you don't live in the land of fear by kicking God out of the equation. It means just the opposite. Now is the time, if ever before in your life, maybe the first time ever, that you lean into God. And by the way, I've read before that this picture of this bull and this wood being sacrificed by God is a foreshadowing of what God would do with his son Jesus on the cross of wood. And that he would remove all the sin. 
as all that thing was burned up. I know some of you right now are living in the same place that Elijah is in the land of fear. You may be concerned about a pregnancy, how it's progressing, where do you go? And I just wanted to just encourage you. In my prayer time, I'm very convinced that God wanted you to hear, he wants you to not live in the land of Elijah at that time period. He wants you to go back and remember exactly what God's done and what he's done for you. Some of you are in the land of a job loss right now. It's brought you to the land of what are you doing here? You're in the land of fear. You can trust God. There might be a time of where you have to tighten your belt, but God will show up. There's some of you that are struggling with your kids' education or teaching them or wanting to teach them. And you say, and God's looking at you saying, what are you doing here? You don't have to fear it. You're enough, I can help you. Some of you are worried about the next doctor's appointment. You don't have to fear. And there's some that we know that will taste death. And we're afraid. And God says, I've even overcome that. And the victory is theirs today. There's holy coincidences. And I'm just asking you to remember them. When you walk out of your day, look at the birds of the air. How much more valuable are you, you than they? There's one. How about that phone call? How about that song that comes on? How about that scripture verse you read? How about that time God stepped into a situation and you know it was only him? That's the same God that rescued Elijah. The same God that rescued Elijah is the same God that rescues us and loves us. He is the same God that is for us each and every day. What are you doing here, Tom? I'm not there. I'm not going to be in the land of fear. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to do the best that I can to process the information that we have at this time period. But I will not walk away from God. And that's what I'm asking you to do. And it takes a constant reminder. It takes those holy coincidences. Maybe it takes even a message on a Sunday from a guy like me to remind you of what God wanted to remind you of that happened 2,600 years ago. He was with you yesterday. He's with you today. And God will be with you tomorrow. Well, there's three takeaways before I pray for you that I wanted you to remember through this message. God wanted you to hear this today. That's number one. It may not be a coincidence that you're watching this, maybe for the first time ever. It may not be a coincidence that you chose to, you know what, I'm not going to sleep in, I'm going to watch this. It may not be a coincidence that your son's watching it, or your daughter, or your friend, or your neighbor. I believe God wanted you to hear this today. Second thing is I want you to remember. Remember what God has done in your life and the lives of others. Elijah took his his eye off that just for a moment and then he started to live in the land of fear. Remember what God has done. How he's brought you to a church, a place of knowledge, a hope, a faith, a love. Remember what he's done for, in your life and the life of others. And the third thing is, when fear comes, ask the question from God. What am I doing here? What am I doing here when it comes? Say, I don't want this fear. And then trust him again with everything. When that fear comes, ask the question, 
What are you doing here that God would ask you? And then trust God with everything and say, this is, I'm not going to be fearful. The situation around me may not change right now. And it might be a situation that I should be afraid of, but I have a God I can trust and I'm not going to fear. That's what I'm going to ask. Dear Father, we come to you. And we thank you for Elijah. God, we thank you that you told Elijah to go back the way he came. To trust in you. To let fear not have a home in his heart or in his mind. To trust that you're bigger than the problems. To continue to follow you. And dear God, I pray that for every mother that's listening, every father that's listening, every brother or daughter, sister that's living, listening, every son. Dear Father, I pray that wherever we're at, a healthcare worker, that we don't have to live in the land of fear because our God is with us in the hospital. Dear God, I pray for every person that's first responder, that they can remember our God is with us. Though there may be 450 prophets of Baal around us and we're by ourselves, you're with us, and that's enough. For every person that's serving the public in these dangerous times, whether it be through a grocery store or some other place, I pray that they remember this. God, we love you, and we thank you that you're for us and you're not against us. We thank you that we can trust you when you walk in the valley low or the mountain high. God, I pray for a peace that comes through this. Father, help us to take a step of faith. Help us to remember Elijah during these coming days. Father, we love you and we thank you for all you've done. And all God's people said, amen.